This episode of Geekville Radio is dedicated to the memory of Fred Silverman, who passed away this week. He is responsible for a lot of the Saturday morning programming that we all grew up with, and our condolences to the family and friends of Fred Silverman. Geekville Radio. Hello once again, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with another episode here. We are a little bit late with this one, ladies and gentlemen, but hopefully we will make up for it in content. We're talking Crisis on Infinite Earths, which wrapped up a couple weeks back. And we're also going to talk a little bit of the fallout of Crisis and what it means for the Arrowverse. That'll be the first half of the show, and then the second half we're going to talk some Marvel Phase 4 news and rumors, a lot of exciting stuff that may well still be in store for the MCU. And once again, I don't have to do it alone. Joining me from a nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Back to uh, the world of DC, which I know and love, so let's get it done. Yeah, abs- Absolutely. So uh, I brought up our Christ Infinite's predictions. Uh, first, we'll talk those last two episodes. I mean, it's uh, fair to say that they didn't try to make this like Endgame because it couldn't be. I mean, in in the original comic series, uh, you know, Crisis was kind of an Endgame level thing because it was literally all these characters from all these different worlds coming together to fight any monitor who'd like become the size of a planet can't really do that in the tv show but i think in the way they did it kind of making things more personal and the way they incorporated lex Luthor, i think was was pr- pretty creative i mean uh, overall I, w- I was really happy with how crisis turned out for those last two episodes what did you think i'm uh, not bad i think it kind of set up the table for where they want to go with the flare over shows that are still going to be on the air I think uh, we'll talk later in another episode about the finale of Arrow. I know you've done a solo one. I haven't mm-hmm. watched it yet, so we'll do one together, I'm sure, at some point, and talk about how the events of Christ of the crossover affected that and how that could kind of backdoor into some other things if they want to go that route. Um, I, I think it was nice. I, you know, I've been the champion here on the on the podcast of bringing Black Lightning into this shared universe, which they were able to do. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jump on your predictions, but that was that wasn't something we listed as a prediction. But that's something I've been predicting for what two years now. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it and it makes sense. I mean, that is probably the biggest effect on the Arrowverse, yeah, probably even more so than Oliver Queen's death. Is the main characters now the main series are now all on one Earth, which of course will make future crossovers very easy. They won't have to worry about finding ways to get all these characters to meet up and really i think the nice feel good moment in the closing minutes of the the final episode was they basically formed the justice league and the hall of justice yep yep they sure did and i still think they paid tribute to the source material uh they didn't shy away from it when oliver essentially tells kara and barry they were meant to die and he kind of traded for that well we all know that in the in the comic book crisis that's what did happen. Kara and mm-hmm. Barry did die and Ollie lived. So they're basically tipping the cap. They're saying, okay, yeah, we were inspired by this, but this is our take on it. We're going to flip the script here. This right. is the one who's going to die. And these two are going to live. Unlike what you saw in the comics 25 years ago, 30 years ago. 
And uh, me and my big mouth a few years back, I remember saying this, you know, it's just like, well, yeah, in Christ's Infinite Earth, uh, Flash and Supergirl die. And of course, my friends are like, oh, well, gee, thanks for the spoiler. You know, it's like, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if you're not a comic book reader, you you have to, and, and we are comic book readers, we have to remind people like we do on the podcast all the time, death in comic books ain't real <laughs> it's, a, it's an inconvenience at best you know <laughs> right i mean we we've sat there and, and, and jokingly listed those characters that stayed dead and then they've somehow been resurrected and then we've, we've come to decide the only characters that actually stay dead are the ones that are are you know vastly important to a character's origin story matt mm-hmm. murdoch's father thomas and, and martha wayne Uncle you know ben, the, you know the, uh, uncle ben exactly these, these are the ones that that, that, that stay dead because they they have to, you know. Uh, other than that, I mean, for God's sakes, the entire planet of Krypton, and in, in in if you want to look at it from a certain way, is wasn't really destroyed because of Brainiac and his right. bottled planets. So I mean, it's like even some of the origin stories for some of these that involve, you know, the the, the loss and death of those doesn't really happen. There's just a handful of them. So yeah, whenever you hear that, ladies, if you're not if you're not a comic book reader but you listen to our podcast because you watch these movies and TV shows that are inspired by them. Don't get too upset when a character dies because it's comic books. They're right. always going to come back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, really even the Arrowverse has displayed that already. You know, they've already yes. had characters come back from the dead. They brought Sarah back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Thea, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, uh, as, as the horror guy and the big fan of Constantine, he probably doesn't really have a place in this universe if it wasn't for Sarah's death. That was the whole introduction to his character into this universe. Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong, when it comes to Constantine, uh, depending on the comic you read, you, you probably saw the bumper sticker in the 80s that was on a lot of the uh, pickup trucks that I would see, you know, you know, those Dodge Rams or whatnot that says, heaven doesn't want me and if hell's afraid I'll take over. I think that kind of fits Constantine, you know? <laughs> That's John Constantine. I mean, as much as I'm not a huge fan of the Keanu Reeves movie, they do do a good job in that in explaining why hell wants him and why heaven won't take him and why John is doing what he's doing. First off, Peter Stramari as the devil was brilliant casting, okay? That's the first thing. But as he's sitting there dying, but his soul won't leave his body because of his situation and he flips off the devil, that's all you need to know about John Constantine. <laughs> I mean, flipping off Satan himself. I mean, that's as he's showing up to collect your soul because you're dying. That that's all you need to know about. And he lights a cigarette up, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's John Constantine in a nutshell. And, and, and I mean, the whole point of, of of that whole scene is Satan himself comes to Earth to collect his soul. That's how important his soul is to Satan. He didn't pawn this off of one of his demons. So yeah, you're right. That bumper sticker. Quite apropos for John. Right, right. Kind kind of like that scene in the Justice League Dark animated series where all the demons are like, well, we know we're getting you eventually. And then they all turn to Batman, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. And Bruce's like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Does Bruce go to hell? That would be an interesting topic for an episode, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, he's he's obviously a violent, not nice person, but what he does is for good things. So... I don't know. He doesn't murder. We know that. (laughs) Right. Right. But uh, back to Christ's Infinite Earths. I mean, just like the first half, because if you're listening to this before our earlier episode, I think it was episode 248 or 249, we did uh, kind of a halftime program Mm -hmm. for the first half. And that's where our 
main commentary on the first half is. So we're not really going to talk the first three episodes. We're really just talking the, the two-hour finale here. But I did make a list of cameos and Easter eggs that we can go through here. Uh, sure. Probably the biggest surprise because, I mean, there were rumors that there were going to be references to the movie universe. But who predicted Ezra Miller to show up? I mean, my jaw hit the floor when I saw that. Uh, there's there's three things that that kind of got me on that one. First and foremost, in today's day and age of social media, the ability to keep something like that under wraps and to have no leaks is insane. Mm-hmm. The last time I can think of something of that level getting by was you know San Diego Comic Con a couple years ago when the studio got by with us horror geeks not realizing this movie they were going to debut the trailer for was actually a sequel to the Blair Witch Project. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was it called? They were, they were calling it the woods. And then we were like watching, Oh, 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 Whoa, Whoa. This is Blair witch. You know, yeah. this is a sequel. I mean, notwithstanding the movie was not that good, but the fact that they brought it to something openly brought a trailer to a thing like comic-con for a fairly well-known franchise and no one knew about it. That's hard to do in today's day. And yeah. Age. Yeah. There, there's, there's two examples. I think of that. Uh, one, as far as releasing, was in 2008 when we all first saw Samuel Jackson as Nick Fury. You know, nobody knew right. that was going to happen. And right. another one, at least as far as the marketing goes, was when Disney released that Tron Legacy trailer at Comic-Con with Jeff Bridges. Right. You know, because it was like people, it's like they didn't tell you what it was, and then you saw the bikes and, and all that, and it was like, wait a minute, this oh. is Tron. <laughs> and then you see well, Jeff Bridges get up, uh, you know, and everybody plays. And then the final shot with the young Jeff Bridges where they de-aged him, and it's like mm-hmm. Road Warrior pop, you know? Which, which begs me to ask a little bit off topic. Did that predate all the all the de-aging we saw in the later MCU movies? Was that the first time Disney had done the de-aging? I think that was the first time they truly did it. It was the first time I recall, let's do the younger version. Well, since, my goodness, I mean, we've seen so much of it now in the MCU. Mm-hmm. We've seen, you know, we've seen we've seen it with Kurt Russell. We've seen it with... Yeah, we're seeing it in TV now with uh, Picard because they they de-aged Brent Spiner to do data. Right, right. I mean, we saw it with um, Michael Douglas. We've Mm -hmm. seen it in the trailer of Black Widow with John Hurt, you know, Mm -hmm. William Hurt. Sorry. I guess we owe that a tip of the hat to Tron for them figuring out that technology, but (laughs) I digress. Well, you gave me a perfect opportunity to get our uh, obligatory Doctor Who reference out of the way. They did actually de-age John Hurt for a cameo in one of the Doctor Who episodes he was in. So there you go. Because <laughs> <laughs> the unofficial 13th or 14th Doctor, the War Doctor, correct? Yeah, right, right. He's like the unofficial ninth. He's like being between eight and nine. But but yeah. So he's like eight. He's 8. like eight five. and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something like he was, he was yeah. between McGann and uh, Eccleston. So anyway. Right. Uh, but yeah, you, you were going to say. Yeah, so my first thing is, like I said, that they were able to keep it under wraps. That's just in today's day and age, anytime anybody can do that, wow, kudos to you guys. The second one was a bit of confusion, and you kind of gave me your theory, and and you can share it with the fans when I explain it here to our listeners. Since the appearance of the Ezra Miller flash happens after the Anti-Monitor has destroyed the entire universe, Mm -hmm. if this was meant to be... uh, uh, a nod to the viewing audience that, yes, the DCEU universe is one of the universes in the multiverse. How can that be? Because they'd all been destroyed at this point. Well, I think Was they, it a breaking of the fourth wall? Or You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Yeah, yeah. What I think they tried to explain was it was the Speed Force. Both of them were in the Speed Force at that moment. Mm. So I, I think that's yeah. kind of the sort of plausible, maybe not both at that moment, but somehow the Speed Force brought them together. Right, and the only reason I bring that up is 
it wasn't like with the destruction of other Earths that we saw in the first three episodes. They were not acknowledging other other universes in the multiverse that were were theatrical and or television uh, takes on DC intellectual properties. That's why we got Burt Ward. That's why we got Kevin Conroy. That's why we got mm-hmm. Brandon Ralph as Superman. That's why we got got Robert Wall. You know, the, there's there. You know, we 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 didn't get Linda Carter as Wonder Woman, but she's already in the world anyways because she was the president in, the, in what the first two seasons of Supergirl. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. something like yeah. Uh, she she resigned last season, I believe it was. Right. So of course she wasn't playing Diana, Diana Prince, but you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my, my my point is, so it's not like they're avoiding the fact of 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 saying, hey, all these other takes on. The only one we didn't really get an acknowledgement of, I think, and up until that point, the only one we hadn't got acknowledgement was the DCU, the current one, the current movies, and the Christian Bale Batman stuff. And knowing how Christian Bale protects that, and the, I'm not shocked. The way he sees those movies, and I think the way DC and Warner Brothers have, they are something completely and totally different. They have nothing to do with anything else comic book related, and they don't want them to. They are supposed to be as reality-based as possible. It's the equivalent of an Elseworld story because there were no other superheroes mentioned at all in any of the Bale movies, and that was probably by design. Right. They they kind of teased at Robin a little bit, but not really. Right. So really, all you got was Batman and his villains. You got mm-hmm. Scarecrow. You got Ray Ghoul. You got, and you got remember even their take on Ray Ghoul. There's never a mention of the Lazarus Pits or any kind of alchemical or or, or supernatural. Uh, elements to why Rayshad Ghoul has been around for thousands of years. I mean, they kind of explain it away, but it's that was that was Nolan's whole goal was to go for a very very gritty reality based you know take on the Batman mythos. And I thought he did a pretty good job for the most part. You know, yeah, I'm not one of these blind fans. It does have its weaknesses here, including Dark Knight. But I digress. Mm-hmm. The third thing that I that, that I liked about this Ezra Miller was you had brought this up to me off Mike. The way they interacted, the, they being Garrett Grant Gustin and Ezra Miller, was perfect. That oh, is yeah. exactly how Barry would react to seeing another version of Barry. And the fact that both these guys have been pretty candid and open publicly about their respect for each other's work and, and interpretation of this character, and they're not going to step on each other's toes, I thought this was a nice way for them to do this publicly in the characters themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way they geeked out each each other's costume, I was like, right. "That's that's so Barry," you know. <laughs> right, right. I mean, because we've talked about before how the Ezra Miller take on Barry Allen of being kind of an outsider and a nerd is more yeah. in line with what you see in the comics, whereas the Grant Gustin, he he yeah, he's a nerd, but he's the cool nerd. Everybody, every every everybody mm-hmm. had that cool nerd in high school. That he was a nerd and he was a geek and he was smart, but he was popular too. That's right. kind of the berry that Grant Gustin is, you know? Yeah, yeah. he was not the type of nerd that got tossed into lockers, not that I know from experience that's the, or anything. That's the Ezra right. Miller berry. Right, right exactly. Right? <laughs> Which is more in line with the comic books, but they both bring a bit of, of Barry's quick-wittedness, um, mm-hmm. silliness. I think that's part of the comics, too. It's a little more in television than it is in the comics, but it is a part of who the Barry Allen version of The Flash is, and they both bring that. So I, I just thought that was nice to have an on-camera, in-character essentially breaking the fourth wall to the crowd fans and going, yeah, he's Barry Allen. I'm Barry Allen too. And we respect that. So you guys respect it too. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, another cameo that we got, and I'm sure most of the viewing audience probably didn't catch it because it wasn't set up like that. But when they had that scene, you know, in, I think it was the, the final episode when flash and Supergirl meet 
and the guy comes up and asks him for autographs. That's actually Marv Wolfman, the the, the man who wrote yes. the original Crisis and then for their series. Right. So I thought it was a nice a nice touch. It was it was basically the equivalent of a Stan Lee cameo. Right. That, that wasn't the only. I mean, that was actually you know like I say it was Marv Wolfman, so it was an actual the real person. But they do a lot of that stuff. Um, I noticed like one of the streets was like Perez Drive. Mm-hmm. Of course, George Perez is a famous famous. Was he an inker or was he a, was he, was he a writer? I cannot remember. I think he's done some writing, but he was mainly known for penciling, and he did the penciling for Crisis, and he and Marv did, but, I, uh, I think it was uh, Teen Titans for right, a couple, right. couple of years beforehand. I, yeah. I, I, I believe they might have been the one, I might have the team that brought us the Judas Contract, which is probably the most famous Teen Titans storyline. The one with, you know, uh, Deathstroke implanting uh, a splinter cell, basically, his daughter, Tara, into the Titans to turn on him. But I digress. Mm-hmm. Um but there are other ones. I mean, I'm I'm not just on this show. I've noticed in the Flareoverse, there's like O'Neill Street. I mean, it's of course Denny O'Neill, who mm-hmm. was famous for writing the the Green Arrow, Green Lantern series in the early '70s. Yeah. So I mean, that's something they've always done on these shows. So when they do stuff like that, I'm like, why am I not shocked? You know. Right. We also got a shot from the if you want to call it the New Earth too. I don't know if that that would fit, but they showed the Justice Society, uh, including Star Girl, who is getting her own Which TV is series show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be the new series. I'm assuming that means it's going to take place on Earth Two and won't be a a regular interaction with the rest of the heroes. Is it, am I wrong in saying it seemed like to me they were saying that the Earth Two she's on is going to be the same Earth that the the uh, DC online service Titans are also going to be on same universe, same Earth? I should uh, say. Well, that uh, that that Titan one that was Earth Nine. I don't know why they called it oh, okay. Earth Nine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then there was Earth 19, which showed Swamp Thing, which I'm assuming is uh, the 19 that, is the takeoff of the streaming service. Right. Yeah. That is that. That is the Swamp Thing. That that's a shot from the show. So. Mm-hmm. And Earth 21, that was where Doom Patrol was was shown briefly. Right. Great show, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it was they called it Earth 12 for that Green Lantern Corps. I'm assuming that's going to be the HBO show. I don't think that would have right. anything to do with. Diggle per se, right? And, and Earth nineteen ninety, whatever it was, was Brandon Routh Superman in that recreation of the famous Christopher Reeve, you know, flying in the outer right. Earth ninety six. Yes, that yeah, it was it's, a direct nod to him. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Superman Returns. Right, and and really, the, and you notice with the emblem, they took what was previously black and like he restored the yellow to his uh, mm-hmm. to his suit. I don't think it's just going to come out of this. But if, if and if it doesn't, I'm fine with that because we did get a little bit of it. It does put a nice little little bow on what I think was an underdeveloped use of Brandon. I think Brandon Ralph could have been a good cinematic Superman had they decided to continue that series along. Just me personally, right. you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that scene where I know I know it was on the uh, the first half, but where, where they tied into Kingdom Come and all that, where they basically said this is the kingdom come superman but he was still i mean that's very much how i think christopher reeve would have played that part if he if he he was still with us i mean he was essentially the christopher reeve superman right and this is not a knock on henry cavill or tyler hecklin i've said it before christopher reeve will always be superman for me and and, and for most people our generation Mm -hmm. let's be honest brandon routh is a fine is a is a fine replacement because we understand why christopher couldn't do it anymore even before he died when he had the terrible you know, horse accident right. and, and right. was paralyzed. So I feel personally that interpretation of Superman is more in line with what had been the comics for 40, 50 years than anything else has ever been done. Superman's not brooding. 
he's not kind of I don't know how what Tyler Hecklin is, but he's not you know not that I hate him. I, I don't dislike no, Tyler. No, Hecklin. I, I think I think, I think he he's great as a modern take on Superman, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. I just think the Christopher Reeve Brandon Routh version, where he is mom and apple pie, that that that's Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the Superman I want to see. That's at the end of the day. He is a lost little boy who lost his parents and was raised by good church-going folks in a small town in Kansas on a farm. Think about that. With Superman getting a CW series this fall, I really hope they do an interpretation of the uh, For the Man Who Has Everything story that Alan Moore wrote, which, I mean, it is one of those things in in the comic world. You know, a hippie-bearded British guy, like, writes one of the greatest Superman stories ever made. (laughs) <laughs> it essentially has Superman having to relive and break out of and see Krypton destroyed again in order to get back to the real world. Right. It shows what Superman is made of, you know? Right. And if I remember right, in that story, the Mongol winds up being the, the ultimate bad guy, right? He's the right. one that sent the, that orchid any, to begin with. Exactly. And there, there was an excellent interpretation of it for the Justice League animated series. And right. you see Superman... And he has his son who's crying, saying, Dad, what do you mean I'm not real? Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and, and they they put the, the big three through it all. I mean, Bruce has to, to realize that it, his dad doesn't fight back mm-hmm. from the mugger and that Thomas and Martha do get shot. And Diana has to realize that Themis, he does have to get kicked off of Themyscira. You know, it's, it's <laughs> I think when you understand those three characters and what makes them tick. That was one of the best written stories to kind of show who they really, why they're heroes. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Right. Right. But back to uh, crisis, I I take it. You caught the, the Gleek joke, right? That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for, you know, they, they had the cage that said Gleek. And of course, Gleek is a monkey in the, I think it was a late seventies run of the super friends. Yeah. He was the pet of the wonder twins, which was created whole cloth for the show. Right. And and of course they even played a motif of the old super friends theme. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, the, the only thing they probably left out of that they could have done in that was to play the uh, to play the old, you know, <laughs> the old the old the old transition sound they did with the wipes and Ted Knight. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, <laughs> right? Which I've said my favorite crossover was the first one, the one with the Dominators. Mm-hmm. They brought that in in this one at the very end, because what I found so fun about that one was they trained in the building that was part of star labs that Barry inherited from the fake Harrison Wells, you know, the Ibar Thawne version, right. Mm-hmm. As a resolution to first season of flash. And from the outside, the facade looks like the old hall of justice from the, the cartoon Saturday morning right. cartoon. Well, that's the same building they're in when they formed the, the, the their, their version of the justice league. And they show that they do the Gleek Easter egg. Mm-hmm. I'm going, well, that's cool. They, they, they brought it back to, to, to season one. I mean, we never saw that building again, but they did. it wasn't destroyed when the Dominators invaded, so why not, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. They kind, kind of a nod back to it. And on this week's episode of Supergirl, they brought Wynn back from the 30th century. And he said something to the effect of, oh, yeah, they, yeah, we called it the Hall of Justice or something to that effect. So right. they're, they're putting that into motion. It's a CW show. So the demographic they're shooting for is that, what, 15 to 25 demo? Yeah, yeah. But they're, but they're smart enough to realize a, a chunk of their audience are our age, and they grew up on that Saturday morning cartoon. And that's why they're, they're, they're comic book superhero geeks. So there you go. Right. And, and it's also why in shows like Legends of Tomorrow, everybody falls in love with everybody else 
during the course of the show. Right, know, but, right. Yeah. Well, I still said, I mean, secretly, that's probably my, I mean, Arrow was, it was, and probably always will be my favorite, but Legends is, when they did the whole, and I've said this before, when they did the whole George Lucas episode, what, in season three? Sounds about right, yeah. I, I was sold. The fact that George Lucas was there, they saved Star Wars, okay? That's enough for them to make me, to make that <laughs> my, my second favorite show. So we'll move on to our predictions here, how our predictions worked out, and we'll kick it off. John Diggle, uh, I had put uh, how Diggle was created for the show and not really a part of the comics, but then, of course, they bring in Roy Stewart. They have the Green Lantern connection. I said that he lives, a uh, perfect opportunity to make him the Green Lantern. Well, we didn't really get it in the crossover, but we did get it in the Arrow finale. So I'd say we got that mostly right. Mm-hmm. You know, we did say that Ollie was going to become the Spectre, so we said dies, kind of. And really, as I said on my uh, Arrow finale review, it really seems like what they did with Ollie and Felicity was what they did in the comics with Superman and Lois Lane, the Earth 2 incarnations, where it's like they were two of the few that actually know what happened with the actual crisis story. And they realized, okay, we cannot dwell on this Earth uh, with with these other superheroes. So they kind of went to their own pocket reality. And that, that really does kind of seem to be what happens with Ollie. So I think it's a safe bet that we are going to see Ollie back in some capacity as the Spectre. He's not going to be regular, obviously, because he's got that wrestling show that he's going to be the main character in. But I, we're, I, we're going to see Ollie Spectre or Spectre Ollie again in some capacity, I think. Right. I mean, I, I'm fine with that. I, I am a fan of the Jim Corrigan Spectre. We got a little bit of him in this, but, you know, it doesn't really fit what they're trying to do. So that's cool. Right. And I even put here for Felicity, you know, I put dies kind of whatever Ollie's fate is, Felicity will be a part of it. If Ollie becomes Spectre, then Felicity may take up another supernatural role. If Ollie winds up in the pocket universe, she will join him there, a la Earth 2, Superman and Lois. Bam, I got that one right. I'm taking a bow for that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's nice that he's in that pocket reality because as he was being trained by Jim Corrigan, he was in Limbo, which, you know, uh, makes sense. And, of course, Limbo is kind of like your own personal hell, so naturally his was Leon Yu. Shocker, right? <laughs> right, right, yeah. And uh, for Barry, this is one of those I'm kind of glad we got wrong because I said, well, I said at least dies but returns. A Flash died, a Barry Allen died. It was just the 1990 Barry Allen, and that, what a great send-off that was. Sure. But I don't think we see the end of John Wesley's ship. I think he's still alive as Jay Garrick on Earth, whatever Earth that right, was. Right, right, exactly, yeah. And there's no reason to believe why that Earth wasn't brought back. So, yeah, we'll see John Wesley's ship just not as the 1990 Barry Allen again. Right, right, which was a nice wink to that TV show, which sadly only lasted one season. Yeah, yeah, and I remember had it gone another season, Mark Hamill said he would have done more appearances as the trickster. Right. For Kara, uh, Supergirl, I just put lives. You know, that's uh, that turned out to be right. Superman lived. Kingdom Come Superman, I was certain, was going to die. Obviously, we just talked about his uh, a nod to being the Christopher Reeve Superman at the end of the finale, so we're wrong on that. Killer Frost barely showed up at all. She didn't die. Vibe didn't die. Constantine didn't die. I mean, technically, I guess you could say they did because their Earths were wiped out. But when I say die, I mean like actual death scene, you know. Right. I said that Smallville Superman was going to die. That didn't happen. He just kind of gave up his powers and 
went home. Which I'm fine with. I thought that was very well done. Right. Alex, uh, Jean, uh, they live uh, Batman. I did put die. So technically I got that one right too. It was just, you know, we already lamented our uh, dislike for how Batman was depicted in that. Jefferson Pierce, uh, Black Lightning, I put that living. You said he was going to be like part of the regular thing from now on. So, you know, you got that one right as well. So I'd say our batting average held up pretty good here. Yeah, it did. Uh, I was going to ask you about some of the omissions. I mean, characters we didn't see at all or saw very little of uh, that I was kind of shocked that uh, we didn't see any Roy. Um, right. Colton's been back for other for other 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 guest starring roles and cameos. Yeah. So, and he's in the finale uh, as well. He's in the Arrow finale. Right. We didn't see we didn't see Thea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't see uh, we didn't see a lot of Constantine except for that awesome interaction with with Lucifer. That was worth it, though. As far as I'm concerned, oh, that was that, worth it. That's that was straight out of the comic book. Okay, <laughs> that was as close as they got to the actual comics in this. Um, who else didn't we see? Uh, I mean, we brought this up earlier on the one that, that the voice of the AI on other Earth's legends was was Wentworth Miller. <laughs> right, right, that was great. Yeah. Uh, how awesome is it that Mick Rory is a successful romance novelist now? That's pretty funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome. I never, I've said before, I never tire of seeing Dominic Purcell as, as, as Mick Rory. That's just incredibly mm-hmm. good. I still um, say they could do, even if it's a one-shot where it's like uh, a sitcom where it's Mick Rory with his new roommate or whatever, and it's just, it's that just he, a bunch that of he sketches. Fries every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of you. <laughs> um, uh, now they need to do a sitcom. Like, like it didn't work for Hulk Hogan, but maybe it worked for Dominic Purcell, like the nanny, like Mr. Nanny. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was pretty good with the baby in, that, in the crossover, right. you know, with with Lois and, and Clark's kid. So, uh, um, what were the other glaring omissions? I know. Won a whole lot of vibe. Did we see vibe at all? I don't, yeah, I we don't saw, think we saw still- maybe very little bit, but certainly not as much as we did, especially since he was on the poster. Right, right. Um, I guess I'm I'm fanboy in here, ladies and gentlemen. But when they do these crossovers, I expect an all hands on deck type thing, and sometimes we don't get that. And I right. get you know scheduling conflicts and things of that nature, other projects going on. But I I, I think especially Thea and Roy, and Roy are so vitally important to the to the foundation of this entire shared universe that they would have at least shown up for a scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um. Eh. It is what it is. We didn't see Rip. That was one where I was wrong on. I, I was. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really say we were going to see Rip. I was just kind of openly fanboying. We would see yeah, Rip yeah. again. It, it was one of those things. It was like, well, that's really the only other one that we we haven't talked about, or something, something to that effect. And I said, I said something to the effect of, I, I don't think we'd be surprised, but you know. Well, we're going to make a second Doctor Who reference here. You know, obligatory uh, <laughs> reference here. We didn't right. see Merlin, and I and I expected that that might happen too. Right, we didn't. Yeah. And we know Barrowman is, is is willing to do it because, like you just told me off mic, he just showed up on this week's Who, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Back as Captain Jack. Now, it's probably a one-off. I don't think he's uh, back for good. But it's one of those things, I think, even with Arrow, I mean, it is very possible that Merlin could be back in some capacity because, because of how things get uh, tossed back up in this New Earth Prime. And I, I did like and that makes me think I did like the fact that they when they brought the Earths back, they brought them back to where they were, where they were destroyed. So, exactly. You no, know, Tommy is still dead. Mm. You know, Laurel is still dead. You know, uh, uh, Paul Blackburn's character, Doctor or Detective Lance, he's mm. dead. They're not coming back. What happened? What do you say? Mm. Watch the finale. <laughs> oh, OK. OK. Lance and Tommy are back. 
Well, Tommy's been back once already, but it wasn't right, with Tommy. Right, it was, right. <laughs> right. Um, and there's even a scene where he says something about, well, on my Earth or something like that. So it's possible it might be a Tommy from another Earth that's brought to this one. And it still bears repeating something you brought up on our last episode about the crossover. They spend all this time introducing Psycho Pirate, making a big deal out of him. And then we didn't see hiding her hair of him, yeah. Nope. I mean, yeah, cool mask. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. And I'm assuming, because of the fallout of this, that Harrison is no longer Pariah and Lila is no longer Harbinger, correct? Right. Their yeah, powers are gone. Yeah, it looks like they're back to normal. I mean, we, we did get the Green Lantern tease with Diggle finally. Right. But that, but essentially that means Lila's still back to being the head of Argus and Harrison's back to being super genius, pain in the butt. Right, right on his earth at least. Right, exactly. He's Tony Stark without the charisma, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Yeah, I mean, there's just, I think there's a comparison to be made there, but I digress. Yeah. So all told, I guess we're uh, two thumbs up for the, the crossover. I mean, I, I they pretty much outright said any the, the next crossover is not going to be nearly as big of a scale they've been escalating in the size and, and scope of them every year and this was the big payoff finally so i'm not shocked in that right it, it sounds like they're probably gonna more go more back to basics and and maybe with everything being on one earth they can do like the smaller crossovers every now and then you know like having you know barry and Kara meet for lunch or something like that since they can both travel at the speed of light they can you know meet for lunch in california or something like that and then well, and, well what, you know. what i'm what i'm hoping for now that they've kind of introduced their particular version of the Justice League, why not have give us Starro? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the original storyline that brought the Justice League together anyway. And it, and, 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 it, and like you said, they're all on the same Earth now. So it just makes sense. That That's where I would go with the next crossover. But that's just me fanboying, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up about the, the crossover? Or? Nope, nope. I'm good. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into some Marvel news here. Uh, regarding Patrick Stewart, Christian Bale, a couple other things. We're just going to talk some more Marvel Phase 4. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and, of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com. Part of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast Family. Attention all Time Lords and Ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GeekGoRadio.com. All right, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk some Marvel Phase 4. Probably the biggest news to come out as far as Marvel goes. Uh, Patrick Stewart has talked about meeting and talking with Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige. And he did say that... Charles Xavier was discussed, but I, he himself, and I'm going to link a Digital Spy article in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 252. Patrick Stewart himself kind of downplays that it's going to be directly about Xavier, now, which 
makes me wonder, you know, well, then what were they meeting about? And maybe it wouldn't surprise me if maybe it was just something, what's the word? Not, not counseling, but, uh, um, advising, you know, advising. Yeah. Something that, something to that effect, you know, about, about the character. Cause really I would think if they're going to go more long term, this is just one man's opinion here. This isn't coming out of the digital spy article. You would think McAvoy would be the one that they would go to because he's at about the age now that the X-Men would be the you know, him essentially heading up the X-Men or forming the X-Men in the first place. Right. If you're looking at the original comics from the 1960s, the original X-Men, Beast, Storm, that grouping. That's right. Yeah, he's what? McAvoy's what? Late 30s, early 40s? Yeah, yeah. I think he's you know, we're approximately our age, maybe a little bit younger. So, a little younger than us, yeah. Yeah. And, and Patrick Stewart was quoted in the Digital Spy article uh, saying, here's the problem. If we had not, I can't do a Patrick Stewart impression, so I'm not even going to try. But uh, <laughs> if we had not made Logan, then yes, I would probably be ready to get into that wheelchair one more time and be Charles Xavier. But Logan changed all that because, of course, the way they killed Xavier, he goes into more detail. He basically says that it was such an emotional ride for mm. that character that to go back to him after that would cheapen that that emotion, you might say. It, you know, it would make it seem a little... Disingenuous to the fans that yeah. were moved. Yeah. Uh, that, that's not that's just similar from what RDJ has recently said, uh, doing the press junket for Doolittle. He brought this up explicitly on Joe Rogan's podcast, that not only is, is no one ever approached him about anything he can think of that would logically... Uh, be a reason to bring Tony Stark back, wouldn't it kind of cheapen the sacrifice that Tony made at the end of Endgame and cheat not only him and the rest of the casters, but the, but the viewing audience that had invested 12 years into this character and watched this story arc? He's right, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so the $64,000 question here to me on Patrick Stewart is, he can say that, and I don't disagree, uh, but we've often said, you know, money talks. And does this whole timbre change if... Kevin Feige talks to Hugh Jackman and talks to Hugh Jackman and put the claws back on one more time. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking before about de-aging, so. Right. And I mean, it's like if not taking anything away from the death of Xavier, it was very emotional and heart-wrenching. But was it any more so heart-wrenching than the, the death they gave Logan at the end of Logan? Right. If, if, if Hugh Jackman's like, well, I don't really feel we're cheating the, the audience here, Patrick. Maybe Patrick rethinks. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, because I mean, Patrick brings up Hugh's reaction as well, you know, about how they were both crying at the uh, w- watching the right. movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's a definite possibility. Now, again, one man speculation. This isn't based on anything that was in that digital spy article. Kevin Feige's being linked to a Star Wars film since last year, and uh, a lot of fans know that Patrick Stewart is actually a big Star Wars fan in real life. So, could he right. do that? you know, crossing of the brands, you know, he would definitely be the biggest, if it's a big screen crossover, right. That would put him in a pretty exclusive club of somebody, you know, being prominent in both star Wars and star Trek on screen would. Yeah. Well, and, and doesn't it make sense for Patrick Stewart to do a star Wars movie? He's one of those distinguished knighted British actors. That seems to be the, the bread and butter of the, of the cast of star Wars movies yeah, going yeah, back. to Exactly. Film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could put him as a Jedi, you could put him in an Imperial uniform, and he'd, he'd be evil, and he'd knock either one out of the park. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I've often said, you know, had they not got Ian McDermott, he'd have made a great Palpatine. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, 
when George Lucas was making the original Star Wars. He hadn't quite made up his mind uh, when he was talking to Peter Cushing and Alec Guinness. He hadn't quite made up his mind which one was going to be which. And I think we've seen enough of their bodies of work. They could have flipped and oh. uh, Alec Guinness could have been Tarkin and Peter Cushing could have been Obi-Wan and it, it would have worked too. Yeah, because don't forget, people who don't don't understand it, Peter Cushing made his name bread and butter on playing the Van Helsing archetype for the Heimer movies. He was always the good guy in those movies. Mm-hmm. It was it was Christopher Lee that was the bad guy. He was Frankenstein's monster. He was Dracula. You know, it was mm-hmm. Cushing was the good guy. He was the monster hunter. So yeah, that would have worked fine. Yeah, and Alec Guinness has played more than his share of villains. I mean, he was Hitler for right. crying out loud. Right. Man, can you imagine if we do get Patrick Stewart? I mean, we'd Star Wars, you'd have gotten everybody but pretty much Donald Pleasance. <laughs> as far as like the, the, the great British actors of that ilk from that you know, that yeah. that generation. Yeah. And had he not passed when he did, uh or had the prequels been made earlier, Vincent Price would have been in a Star Wars movie in some capacity. I'm convinced of that. Right. You know my love of Vincent Price, so <laughs> right. And even and people think that he's British. Vincent Price was very much American, ladies and gentlemen. He was all <laughs> he was American all the way. But um, you know, Boris Karloff, on the other hand, was British, even though people think he's American. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I digress. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to have a couple of articles here that I'm going to because uh, moving on to other elements of Phase Four, Christian Bale is getting linked to the MCU now, and some people are saying. Norman Osborn, some people are saying Thor. Uh, my understanding was he was getting attached to uh, Thor. Jane Foster Thor. Love and Thunder. Love and Thunder, thank you. I'm not saying he has to be, but, I mean, Christian Bale, given his epic Britishness, his voice would do quite well uh, to be Beta Ray Bill. And that's just my thought. Well, that's, that, that's been theorized as well, you know. Um, possibly. You say that, but Christian Bale also was successful as the as American Psycho as well. So he does a pretty good American accent when he mm-hmm. wants to. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, Patrick Bateman is uh, he's American Psycho, not British Psycho. Yeah. And I mean, I thought he was fairly convincing as Bruce Wayne. You yeah, know, with yeah, American accent. They're coming to get me, folks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Stepped outside for a second. Sorry about the background noise. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there have been some leaked photos, but you can't really tell what he's doing, can you? Right, right. It could be motion capture. It could be, you know, just reading. And here's my thought on the on Norman Osborn thing. As much as I think Christian Bale would absolutely knock it out of the park as as Green Goblin slash Norman Osborn, I think we both can agree on that because mm-hmm. he has he has the acting chops to pull that duality off. Why do you have a Spider-Man villain, especially in light of what's going on with Spider-Man in the MCU? We've discussed that on earlier episodes with the deal they cut with. Why is he involved with Thor? You know, <laughs> that's my 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 big right, huh? Yeah, that that whole Beta Ray Bill thing that that's me. That that's just me because. Or here's another one. If the, if he's going to be another hero, uh, you know, put the long hair on him. I think he could pull off Eric Masterson. You know, possibly, possibly. I don't know if he's quite big enough, but uh, you know, um, well, anyway, he, he he can bulk up. He you saw him with a shirt off in well, those Batman movies. Yeah, well, that's the scary thing about him. He lost all that weight for what was that movie with the machinist oh, before geez. that? Oh, jeez, yeah, that's he was well, anorexic, and then he bulks up for Batman. That can't be healthy for a body. But I digress, ladies well, and gentlemen. Well, I mean, hey, uh, uh, you know, the first Captain America movie proved that you don't have to slim down for a role now. So they could they could just you know deflate him. Yeah, but did they already bring up? No, they brought up Donald Blake already uh, with the name tag in the first door. Right. You know, he was on that shirt she gave She gave Chris Hemsworth. Oh, it's an old boyfriend. Right. So, yeah, Masterson would, of course, be the second 
human to have the Thor uh, moniker. So yeah, yeah. I, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, you can give him Thunderstrike, you know. Right, and we do know that Beta Ray Bill exists in this universe because it has been verified by uh, Taiki Waititi that 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 head on the side of the mountain there, the donkey with, skull, with, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that 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 was Beta Ray Bill. He's verified. He, he's he's confirmed that, you know, in an in interview, and he is directing this this next Thor, which the I think Love is and Thunder. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, with, with 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 success of, of Ragnarok, that makes sense. It does beg me ask. Uh, Christian Bale is not a guy who's known for comedic stuff. Mm-hmm. Almost everything he's done is very serious. We're, we're talking about the Dark Knight trilogy. We're talking about The Machinist. We're talking about uh, American Psycho. These are all very dark, heavy, serious roles. How does he play being under the direction of a guy doing comedy? Yeah. Or maybe it's one of those things. You know, He is one of those actors that will do a role, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth here, but there are some of those actors where they might take less money or something like that, depending on how much work it is, but they'll take a role because it's an interesting role and to, you know, and to be different. So maybe doing something comedic, you know, maybe that might be something he's interested in. Yeah. You bring up a good point. And Brett Bale strikes me as a kind of actor who's like that much like a Daniel day Lewis. He will only take roles. He feels challenged in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Something that, that's going to be, and, and for what it's worth, uh, I have not seen it yet. I believe you have, but Ford versus Ferrari has a lot mm-hmm. of comedic. There, there's comedic in timing it. in it. Yeah, he has one of the best guy lines in it. I mean, if you understand this line, you'll understand the male psyche. Uh, if if uh, any ladies are listening, because there there's a scene going into one of the races because it was like the last race on some contract or something like that, and one of the guys tells Christian Bale. Uh, well, yeah, don't worry. After this, you'll never see me again. And Christian Bale just says, sure, I will. I got a rearview mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I, that also makes me thinking out loud here, stream of conscience, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you know, his, his co-star in that, of course, is Matt Damon, who once again is known for more media roles. You know, he's he's the Bourne movies, uh, talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. yeah, he's the action leading man type. Yeah, right, right. You know, uh, talented Mr. Ripley's, you know, kind of a thriller. But at the same time. Damon, when when he wants to do, Damon's done comedies before. Is what I'm saying, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's in him. I, I love Dogma to start out with. You know, it, it's go figure. It's it's a Kevin Smith movie, right? That's definitely got a lot of com- comedy in it. And when Damon does stuff like that, I think he's quite effective. So you know, there you go. My favorite line from Dogma was from Jason Lee because, of course, he's playing the the demon in it. It's just like, have you ever been to hell, human? Not existing is better than being in hell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, poor Alan Rickman. God rest his soul. Uh, another one of those just people forget how good he was in a movie. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. Alan Rickman is on that list, ladies and gentlemen, of that. If he's in a movie, it's a seven out of ten and can go no lower. I think we yeah, can agree yeah, that he's on like, that list. One other thing about <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari, and we'll, we'll get back to Marvel. Uh, the, the soundtrack to Ford versus Ferrari, great rendition of Poke Salad Annie on it. So uh, I have to ask, completely off topic, uh, but related to the topic we're talking about. Is there a version of Highway Star by Deep Purple? Because that's like the greatest, greatest driving song of all time. Uh, I and it's don't, from it's, that. It's from that era, or a little uh, bit, a little bit, little bit b- b- after it. Uh, I don't know about Ford versus Ferrari. If if, if it's in there, I might have missed it because it might have been like on the radio in the background. Although I, I, I know, did catch I know a lot it's of classic rock songs. Evil Dead. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it just anyway, off of Christian Bale. What's the next rumor you've heard about the MCU? Because I've heard a few too. Right. Well, uh, we we were talking a little bit off, Mike, about Dark Avengers or and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Thunderbolts. So 
obviously Thunderbolts in the comics were a villain team masquerading as heroes. It was essentially the masters of evil and Thunderbolts, I think would be interesting because Baron Zemo's part of it as I think he's the one that becomes citizen V, but what, what did you hear about Thunderbolts and uh, dark Avengers? One speculation and the other is, is kind of verified. We have, we do have leaked photos of, Oh, what's the actor's name that played Baron Zemo in, in uh, civil war. Right. Yeah. He's um, going to be in Falcon and winter soldier. Yeah. Right, and then those photos have leaked from the set, and he is in the traditional purple, you know, jumpsuit kind of outfit from the Thank comics. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> glad yeah. to hear that. I don't know. If, don't know if he's going to have the ski mask on, but but you know, the, the like the commando sweater and the yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I think uh, the, the speculation I'm hearing actually is coming from the Black Widow trailer that we've all seen and we've reviewed here on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a scene where. There is a character grabbing a, a bunch of vials of red liquid, and the speculation is one of two things, that it's either pim particles, because my understanding is Black Widow is supposed to take place right after the events of Civil War, right. when, when, when Natasha is on the run and hiding from the law, because she's essentially an outlaw now, a vigilante. Right, right, um, which is why the alleged Robert Downey Jr. cameo is in it, because obviously at this point, Tony Stark mm-hmm. would still be alive. Right, and also I think there's a lot of flashbacks in it. She's remembering her times with the team, and of course Tony would have been alive. And and I, I think that lends into what you've said before that it, some of it's probably going to be what we've already seen in the trailer, just stock footage that wasn't in the original Avengers movie, you know, yeah. or something that was cut or something to that effect. Right, exactly. But uh, the other speculation is that we have seen the de-aged William Hurt in this, you know, mm-hmm. as General Ross Thunderbolt. Uh, of course, he's the one who organizes the team, and a lot of people are speculating that Black Widow is actually going to be the back door into this, and that that isn't Pym Particles. It's actually his version or attempt at creating the Super Soldier Serum, which he takes and turns him into the Red Hulk. Okay, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah, that that makes more sense to me. But the Pym Particles doesn't either, because I think a lot of fanboys are fan are fanboying about the idea that the quantum realm has not really been delved into very deeply. We've just touched the surface of it with what we've seen in the two Ant-Man movies and in Endgame. And we do know based on what little we know about Janet Van Dyne, you know, the Michelle Pfeiffer character, that she was in the quantum realm for a long time and she said it changed her and she's somehow gained some kind of powers cuz she's able to ease the pain for Ghost you know, and Ant-Man and the Wasp. So could the quantum realm be a vehicle now to create things like mutants or other things that they now have their hands on they didn't have on before? Yeah. With the purchase of Fox. Interesting speculation, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you're, you're causing me to uh, bring up a bunch of things here that might uh, bring up, bring up well, on a kind of I was going to yeah. ride a coattails on that, but go ahead with your thoughts. Because well, you know, we were talking about Norman Osborn before about why would a Spider-Man property be in the MCU? Well, if they are going forward with Dark Avengers, Norman Osborn is Iron Patriot. He has his yes, own he armor, and he's essentially the leader of, of the Dark Avengers. And you know, some of this this red that we might be talking about uh, for those that are up to date with Marvel comics, uh, the current Black Widow. I mean, Natasha died uh, a few years back in the comics. The current Black Widow is a clone of Natasha that was developed by the Red Room, which very mm-hmm. well could be something that could set in, in motion with the Black Widow movie. You know, so all this could tie together. And if it is a clone, why not have an evil Natasha as part of this uh, evil Avengers uh, lineup? You know, I think it makes perfect sense. 
I think there's going to be a lot coming out of Black Widow. I think either or both of Red Guardian and Taskmaster are going to be members of or important to a possible Dark Avengers and the Thunderbolts. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if Taskmaster is actually a member of the uh, Thunderbolts. I mean, he, he would definitely fit the, the cap part of things, you know, or the, uh, the, the Hawkeye, you know. Yeah, either one of those could fit that role. And let's be honest, uh, David Harbour is pretty hot right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if Disney wanted to sign him up to a long-term contract, this would be the time to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm basing this on my own personal speculation coupled with things that have been verified by Kevin Feige and others within Marvel. They are going to bring Fantastic Four. Now, mm-hmm. whether it's going to be a Phase 4 or Phase 5, I don't know. Because you've got to think, those the last three movies of Phase 4, they've given us release dates, but not what they're going to be yet. Is it possible they could try to write, cast, and shoot, and everything, a Fantastic Four movie for one of those? Possible. I'm thinking more Phase 5, but they probably, based on MCU's history of the last 10, 11 years, they would use some of these other movies to backdoor the Fantastic Four in, and the quantum realm is a way they could do that. Kevin Feige has openly said that the Fantastic Four, now that they have that property, they're going to try to update them a little bit, and they're going to gain their powers more through being explorers than through cosmic stuff. Because we've already seen a lot of cosmic things already in the MCU with Thanos and the Mm -hmm. Guardians and things like that. So if they want to make the Fantastic Four become the Fantastic Four by being exposed to something in the quantum realm, I'm fine with that. And it makes sense to me. And he has openly said the difference between the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and what they're going to try to bring about in the, in the MCU is the Avengers are a group of friends that have problems. The Fantastic Four are a family, and that's mm-hmm. the difference. Literally, yes. Literally, right. And the Fantastic Four are explorers. I mean, Reed Richards is probably as smart as, as Tony Stark. But he is more about applying his genius into trying to do opening statements from Star Trek to go places, you know, you know, to see worlds. That's 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 Reed Richards. Right. Reed Richards would make better uh, serums or uh, medicines or things like that. He'd be better than Tony at that. But Reed Richards is not going to be able to build armor as well as Tony does. You know, the 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 applied mechanical uh, sciences. Right. And so we know in the comics that he discovers the negative zone. Mm-hmm. There are speculation that that is where they're going to be exploring when they get exposed to something and become the Fantastic Four. Makes sense to me. It's always been the history of the comic. I mean, I know in the first film that was done uh, a while back, was you know probably 15 years ago, that that's also how Doctor Doom uh, was mm-hmm. formed. I think it, when, in the, when they did the Heroes Reborn stuff, that happened to Doom as well. But for me... It's one of the things I'm looking forward to, whether it's Phase 4 or Phase 5. Doctor Doom finally getting unleashed on a big screen. I am right, right. total gusto for that. And I would be surprised if in Phase 4 or 5 we don't get Galactus in some capacity. In light of the last Galactus we got, the same Morpheus cosmic cloud, I think Marvel mm-hmm. realizes the mistake that was. They're going to do it right, so they're going to take their time. That's what I think. Right. I think, uh, you know... With the Fantastic Four, if they're going to go this quantum realm negative zone, there's a lot of places you could actually... We have yet to see what the madness of the multiverse is going to bring to us with Doctor Strange, and we know that's coming out later this year. Right, right. And uh, apparently they're they're switching directors, too, which is another thing we... This is never a good good thing. (laughs) But 
that's a possibility. We know that there's going to be a third Ant Man. That makes the most sense if you're talking if you're talking quantum realm. You know, mm-hmm. we've already brought up Black Widow and the Black and the Thunderbolts, so that's a possibility. I just think it's a tip of the cap to the Kevin Feige and Josh Whedon and Favreau and all these creative people that have been on board with this thing for a long time, steering the ship, showing how they've left themselves so many openings to bring in new properties that they want to. You know. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. I do know uh, on the Fantastic Four, and then I'll let you talk about what, about the change of directors You know, with Strange. They have not cast anyone yet, nor is there a script, but they are open. They want to make the movie. They have openly said they are wanting to get and are trying to negotiate with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt as Sue Storm and Reed Richards, which, one, they've got the look, and two, they are married in real life. They have made movies like they made The Quiet Place was a nice you know, a little solid middle of the road hit for him last year. I would say you're the big Fantastic Four guy. Are you? Would you be fine with the two of them being cast in those two roles? Perfectly fine. I mean, I, I know I was hearing Kevin Feige talking about hiring Emily Blunt for a major role, and really for Marvel, she's pretty be major. Fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And because my the thing that popped in the back of my head when I heard it was actually for Star Wars with Mara Jade, but. Sue Storm's one of those characters that I think has been underappreciated on the big screen because, mm-hmm. you know, they did uh, the first two movies. Jessica Alba. It was Jessica Alba. Yeah. And, and no disrespect to Jessica Alba, but I, I don't buy her as a scientist. Sorry. Uh, no, no. I had a hard time buying her as a cop in Machete, but, you know, that's, you know. <laughs> right, but it's, it's, right. Machete's supposed to be an, a tip of the cap to, like, 70s exploitation, so I'm fine with that, you know. <laughs> right, right. But uh, to, to talk about Doctor Strange, I mean, it, it hit a, a week or two ago that the director, Scott Derrickson, who did the previous movie, had dropped out. And they are going for a May 2021 release, so it's actually coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But nobody's actually tied down at the moment. I do think... Waikiki? Waikiki, yeah. I think he'd do well for a uh, for a Doctor Strange movie, but... This is just me, okay? And I'm... Full transparency, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm a little biased when it comes to Doctor Strange. But all our <laughs> you know, know more about him than I do, that's for sure. Uh, not that he doesn't have comedy. I think Waikiki and, and James Gunn are good where they are because comedy works with Guardians and with Thor. I don't know if, it's, if it works with Strange. I say that, and there was some really good comedic beats in the first Doctor Strange movie. I mean... Mm-hmm. Wong was great. Uh, Wong was awesome, and how you give more personality to a CGI cape than just about any other character in your shared universe is just a, a credit to how you know they can do comedic beats, but eh, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm fanboying there. Maybe I'm wanting Doctor Strange to stay a little bit more. And I do think you have to understand. I think you, you they started to lay this groundwork with his role in Infinity War and in Endgame. Doctor Strange is not really a team player, right? He's got his own little sphere of influence that he and he alone has to protect the entire multiverse from you know and, and plus quite frankly Stephen strange i mean he's gotten better with it is one of but it's one of the key things about the root of the character is he, he's a pretty arrogant prick when he wants to be he's an arrogant ass okay let's just be honest right. <laughs> you know he really is uh, you know, it, 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 that's part of the, the beauty of that story is the, is the, is the humility that he gains through mm-hmm. the loss of his hands, through just realizing that this little world he thought he was the master of is just a small speck compared to everything. Which I, if they bring that element up in a multiverse storyline, and I think they will, we'll see even more 
humbling of Stephen Strange, and I'm fine with that. Uh, if you follow Strange in the comics, there's a point where he goes way, 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 way into the future to fight a battle that's essentially like a crisis-level battle for Marvel where it's going to destroy everything. And he proffers a deal with these powerful gods or entities that give him his powers. He'll stay and fight only under the guise that they don't let anything else happen to the universe between the time they pulled him out into then and that they send him back so he can make sure that that happens. So Mm -hmm. you do see a humbling of him. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, uh, I, I think we started to see it. But I think, like I said, you see it in Endgame especially. He he doesn't want to tell Tony what, you know, if I tell you it won't happen, that famous right. line. Right, because Tony but would just he, try to find a way to counter it. Right, and then, but then when, when, he, when he realizes that, that they're at that moment and that Tony can't change his mind, he looks at Tony and points that one finger up. That is Stephen Strange. He's not an Avenger. He's, I mean, yeah, he's been in team-ups. He was, you know, he was part of the Defenders, mm-hmm. not the one we saw on Netflix, the real Defenders. The, the original comics. Defenders, yeah, with Hulk and yeah. uh, Namor. Yeah. Namor, exactly. Exactly. He was the leader, as a matter of fact. But he doesn't work well or play well with others. That's not Strange's strength. So um we'll see. I'm also kinda of interested to see what they're gonna do with with uh Wanda being in that movie. I think that is going to be the first time that and the Zemo that we talked about earlier. Now that we have the streaming service and now that Feige is the CCO, chief creative officer, because that means he's over television movies and I believe he's over the comics now as well. Right, right. It's all under one studio, effectively, all the TV and the movie stuff. Yeah. And now Feige can really work on this, that dreaded word synergy, you know, where everything lines up and what we see in the comics is what is happening in the movies and it's happening on the TV shows and they're all affecting each other. All us geeks have been wishing for that with every one of these properties and DCs for a while. We might not get now get it. And I, Strange and Wanda might be one, two of the characters that we begin to see this with. That's, you know, and the Quantum Realm stuff I was talking about earlier. So maybe I'm wrong at saying, well, what, what's, what's a Spider-Man villain showing up in a Thor movie? If it's all under one banner now, and we've seen what Feige's done for 11 years. We just got to have faith, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's going to wrap up this talk here with reviewing Christ's Infinite and more looks at Marvel Phase 4. This has been Geekful Radio. If you like what you hear, we are all over the podcast multiverse. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever great podcasts can be found. Geekville Radio is the website, as is the social media, Geekville Radio on Facebook, Geekville Radio on Twitter. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think. You can reply to any of the articles we post on Geekville Radio. And Train, if somebody wants to get a hold of you to talk about Doctor Strange or pro wrestling or uh, anything else, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That's going to wrap up this episode of Geekville Radio. We'll be back soon with our preview of the 2020 geek movies that are yet to come. That's always a favorite of mine to do every year. This is Geekville Radio, and we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. Well, if we do get that synergy between the comics and the movies and TVs, that'll be really interesting because Carol Danvers just died in the Marvel comics.
So there you oh, go. Sh- oh, shucks. <laughs> her sequel set to come out soon, and they just killed her in the comics. <laughs> <laughs>